You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. We went up there to Cairns. I mean, that's as far north as we've ever been, and it is dry, unreasonably dry. Janet tried to go see a waterfall, and it was a trickle. Seriously. But we did see big four-meter crocs in the wild. That was huge, big boy, and he had blood on his teeth. He he was bedded down on a bank because he had just eaten, and the guy in the boat we're in said, I still wouldn't go in for a swim if I were you. Um, He'd probably kill you just because he can. So, no, it's great, but it is great to be back. We missed you guys, and Pastor Darren and Beck will be back next week and be happy to see you. They were traveling over in Hobbit land. I can imagine Darren trying to go into a little Hobbit house. Can you imagine that? Just, it just, it's just not real, is it? Did you see the pictures? It didn't look real, did it? Sorry, that's my green water that I get to drink while I'm talking to you guys. Hey, I've, you can start that if you want to, Elijah. He's giving me extra time. That's good. <laughs> I've listened to uh, some of the sermons on the recent series, Life Hacks. I've got to be honest with you. You know, when the young guys said, to, I, let, I let pastors Darren and Nate now say, have a lot of input into sermons, trying to let them grow and rise. And hey, what do you guys think we'll do in October? Hey, let's do Life Hack. I thought, can we do something adult? <laughs> And they said, it's not kid stuff, Pastor Keith, it's real. And I went, my generation, we think of hack, we think of breaking something or breaking into something. And they tried to convince me and I said, all right, I don't care what you do, I'm on holidays. <laughs> but I listened to it and, and it was great. I, they've been great, great messages, haven't they? And, and I think Pastor Earl kicked the ball out of the park here last week. Is that right? Yeah. Loved it, did you? You enjoyed it? You guys were responsive, that's good. See, at Central, we've got a disadvantage. We've got to preach over this, over, over the, the gulf, like, you know, between Abraham's bosom and the rich man, there was this gulf, and we feel like that. There's this gulf, and in there, there's a rich man crying out or something, and, and those guys just go quiet and cold up in the stands or whatever. You guys are alive. It's good, so you enjoyed it. So Pastor Simo tried to, uh, he tried to convince me, and he's right. I went and checked on it, that the meaning of life hacks, um, and if you, if you listen to his podcast, and you should, I did, it actually, if you go Google it, it'll say one of the meanings is life tips. Language. It's like, I, I don't get the language. Do, do, you get the, do you guys understand that stuff? Is it a new generation? What is it? You know, it's like, I don't understand some of the language. I wasn't thinking hacks were going to break somebody or something, but it's good. It's about tips. And so we're going to go to the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is full of all these things. Like in chapter 1, verse 33, Solomon writes and says, listen to wisdom and you'll live in safety which is cool. Chapter five, verse 18. Now, this is a good one if you're married. Enjoy the wife you married as a young man. The hint and the tip there is, if you don't, she'll kill you, you know, kind of thing. Um, Chapter six, verse 20 and 22. Now, all of us parents love this one. Follow your father's good advice. Stay with your mother's teachings. They will guide you. They will guard you. So your parents aren't stupid, young people. You heard what it was Mark Twain said? You heard what Mark Twain said? When I was 18 years old, I thought my father was an absolute idiot. He knew nothing. I knew everything. He said, by the time I got to be 21 years of age, I was amazed at how much the old man learned in three short years. (laughs) So what was that? I think uh, Joy, our office manager, her eldest son, Zach, they put a sign around his neck. They're in Hawaii. Well, they're on the way from, what did it say? Teenagers? What did it say? Find it. I want to read it. It is classic. You know, I, I saw a T-shirt. We were on a cruise and I saw a T-shirt on a gentlemanly African-American man. 
Yeah, I know, I've got to be careful of the language. And it said, it, it, it literally said, inside this body is a teenager wondering what the hell happened, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking, right. Just talking to Bruce about that after he comes out of the surf. What has happened to this body? You're sore, aren't you, mate? Yeah, I said, that's age, Bruce. Um, so stay with your parents' teaching. Never mind, Janet, we're moving on. Chapter 10, verse 9. I mean, it's full of them. Walk with integrity and you'll walk securely. I mean, the book of Proverbs is full of these from relationships to finance to health to all kinds of things. It's full of sayings, tips, instructions on living life well. However, Solomon makes them stronger than just a tip. These things aren't just tips. The younger generation might not think tip is, when we think tip, we think token, right? Don't we? Let's just throw a tip. It's a token. Or it's a, yeah, you can take this advice you want. Let me read it. I've got to read you this. Zach comes out here at times at services. This is Zach, their eldest. Teenagers, tired of being hassled by your stupid parents? Act now. Move out, get a job, pay your own bills while you still know everything. <laughs> that is parents with teenagers in the house, right? Solomon says these things are stronger than a tip because they're actually directive, not suggestive. Listen to me on that. Solomon is not suggesting good advice here. Good news is not good advice. Good news is good news. And he's saying, you know, Solomon's not kind of standing back going, listen, son, you might kind of, you might want to think about these things. They might help you out. I got to be careful how I talk to my kids now because they're not kids. They're all in their thirties. And if I get a little bit directive, dad, you're not our leader anymore. Just be dad. All right. Do your girls do that to you? Really? Oh, hallelujah, I'm not lost. Anyway. <laughs> and Solomon's not saying, hey, I could give you a tip if you want to hear it. This is not the tone of the Proverbs. They are very directive, sometimes even corrective. And he knows that these principles of life come from God. They're not just tips. And they come with a promise, which is great. Janet and I, before we came to Australia, here we are in our young 20s and, and, uh, and we're claiming God moving to the other side of the world with no possessions, no promised income, three suitcases, 10 week old baby and Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 were just out there as a promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now we trusted that and we're still here 37 years later trusting that. And I'm kind of bummed that Simo preached that and didn't give it to me, so... <laughs> Anyway, but the deal is this. A promise is usually preceded with a condition. And whether it's stated overtly or implied, it's there. It could read this. If you will trust me with all your heart, it's in there. Then I will direct your path. People often today want to do the shortcut to life, don't they? Everything today is temporary, plastic, and disposable. Let's get there quick. Let's get it over with and then go to the next thing. And God is saying, slow down. Walk with me. You got some stuff to learn. If you will trust me in every step of the way. Every step, that step sucks. Just trust me. And sometimes it doesn't look like he's doing a good job in his directions. Who is the direction giver before GPS? Who's the direction giver on trips in the car? Janet is hopeless at that. She's now the best that she's got the electronic thing. Joy Goldsworthy is gold at it. Some people are horrible. 
And sometimes it feels like that with God. God, I don't think you know where we're going. You're lost. I'm not, I'm not saying you're not God, but we're lost. Surely if you let me drive, I wouldn't go that direction. <laughs> and so Solomon says, listen, these things come with an if. They're directive, sometimes corrective, because they are keys to living the kind of life God designed for us. God did design the abundant life for his people. There's no doubt about it. Just that we're trying to qualify that abundant life outside of his boundaries. And even though these sayings are directive, I think, I don't know if you said it or somebody else said it here, Solomon is speaking as a father to his son. This is parental. This is familial. This is family language. This is not the language of a dictating boss going, you do this or else I will strike you off the record. You notice that the prodigal son, the story of God and the prodigal son, he didn't strike his younger son off. He kept waiting for his younger son. He didn't say, if you will, you know, he didn't even tell him to repent. If you will get your life in order, I'll let you come live in the servants' quarters. No. And see, these are the instructions from the heart of a parent who wants his child to live a blessed life and a life of blessing others. That, that's the tone of this. Even though there's an if, even though there's correction, the Bible even says the reason he corrects us is because he loves us. You know, and uh, modern day language, again, I don't get it. I don't call Janet my partner. I, I have wrong connotations in my head when I think partner, like we're not in business together, we're in bed together. I mean, we're in life together and uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, or partner might mean something else or something else. And I just go, no, she's my spouse. And so some of this language, but did you know when it says the Lord disciplines those whom he punishes, did you know that word originally in, means punishment? Those the Lord loves, he punishes. We, the, the, the world wants us to believe that punishment is abuse. Yeah. Punishment done out of hate and anger will always end in abuse. But punishment done out of love will correct wrong behavior. We're not talking about abusing a kid. We're talking about training a child. Here's the deal. So God's not laying down rules like a dictator. He's talking through the heart of Solomon. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but it says in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, that Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and he wrote 1,005 songs and that kings came from nations across the earth just to sit and listen to his wisdom. That is amazing. And you know he got it from God. God gave it to him because he didn't ask for everything else that other people wanted, like fame and money and this, that, and the other. He asked for a correct understanding of heart so he could live right. And so he brings these. Now, now what parent doesn't want their children to live well? You're a parent. You think about that. As a father, you know, you know how it is when, what, how many of you parents, now be honest, when you went to smack your kids, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. You know, if, if, if my parents said that to me, I'd go, well, bend over and let me hit you. You know, kind of thing, smart aleck kind of thing. But it's not, it's not really that way because as a father or a mother, we want to raise our children to be healthy and responsible and successful. Nobody stands back and goes, yeah, they're an idiot. I, I thought they'd end up that way. If the kid's an idiot, it's because a parent is an idiot. And they transplanted that into, I'm sorry to be so blunt, but that kid wasn't born like that. They were shaped like that. So, so we've got a heart to guide them and instruct them and even direct and correct. And, and, and while we're doing that, we're doing it out of a heart of love 
for our kids. And this is Solomon. He's doing this with his son. He literally says, son, listen to my teachings. They're going to keep you out of a lot of stuff and get you into a lot of great stuff. And he, he's filling his son with promises from, God's, from God. But there's a condition attached. So as we get into chapter 3, we're going to where they left off and we're going to round this up this week. Chapter 3, if you've got your Bible, you want to turn there. Uh, some of it, will, most of it will be on the screen or you can follow me with paper. Or as Simeon says, the analog Bible, this one. I still like a Bible in my hands. I don't know about you guys. You know, I just, oftentimes the electronic one, it'll go off. Boom. Oh, hang on. This never goes off. I love it. Anyway, um, Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to take up where we left off in verse 21. Got it? You there? Who's got a paper Bible? Show me. Wow, that's not many. Who's got an electronic one? Who's depending on the screen? Aren't you glad I put them up there this morning? Well, Vicky's going to put them up there. I made them for you. My son, there it is. There's a language, family language. Preserve sound judgment. Pause. Not going too far. That, that, that phrase, sound judgment, in the Hebrew is translated elsewhere as victory. Isn't that amazing? If you will listen to wisdom and you will act upon wisdom, you will have a winning life. You will win in situations. You will have victory in situations if you will just do this. Got it? So, my son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. Oh, oh how many times I kind of wandered away from keeping my eyes on what God is trying to direct me and tell me. He says in verse 22, they will be life for you. The New Living says that phrase means to refresh your soul. The Amplified Version says, life to your inner self. It's not just, oh, I got life, I'm, I'm a sanguine, I'm going to party. No, no, no. In here. They're going to give you life. They're going to keep you fresh. He says, there'll be life to your soul and an ornament to grace your neck. I think of ornaments, I think of Christmas trees. I don't want to walk around with the... I was looking yesterday on a website thinking, oh, I should get one of those American yucky Christmas sweaters and wear it just so people could look at it and go what are you doing you think you think I should um when I think of ornaments and an ornament around the neck what's he talking about I can guarantee if one of you women walked in here with a big bobble around your neck today every eye would go on there going what the but if you walked in here with beautiful jewelry on wow where'd you get that how good is that Man, that looks so good. It, it, it's stunning and it looks good on you. And he's saying sound judgment, discernment, wisdom is not just something on the, out, on the inside. It's also on the outside. People will see it. They'll know it. It's not just what you got in here. It's what you live out there. Got it? And this is what Solomon's saying. Verse 23, then you'll go, on, you'll go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Now, come on, let's be honest. Honest time. Who had a good sleep last night? Hands up. Who didn't? I'm not a good sleeper. Not my, which hand did you raise, Mon? I didn't see. Wonderful sleep. Wonderful sleep. Oh, you guys are so guiltless. It's so good. <laughs> Amazing. Sleep is not my strength. Our daughter used to wake up, what, when she was a baby, every two hours. She, was awake, she only slept two hours at a time. You know what sleep has to do with it? It has to do with being settled in your soul. That's what, it has to, that's what he's saying. 
And, and being settled in your soul means, well, I, I did pretty good today. I lived with sound judgment. I made the right decisions. I've got discernment in life. Because at the end of the day, when my body is bone tired, a dog tired, I, I want to be able to put my head on the pillow and not lay there and rehearse every decision I went through and action I did and who said what and why didn't I do that. Oh, listen, there's a lot of people going, yeah, yeah. Doesn't that suck? That's horrible. Don't take melatonin. They say it's a placebo. I want to make sure that my decisions and my sound judgment were good and I can rest. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I don't want to depend on substance to sleep. And, and I'm not saying that's an easy thing, but I'm saying there's a promise if, if. Verse 25, have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked for the Lord will be your confidence. Oh, gee, it's so easy. We talk about losing hope. Well, what, when you lose hope, you also lose confidence. Because if you have lost hope from God, then the only thing you have confidence is in your natural abilities. And that is a very shallow thing, very temporary. And he says, the Lord will be your confidence. He didn't say he'll give you confidence. He will be your confidence and he'll keep your foot from being snared. So the deal is this. Solomon's trying to tell us in this first section, living by wisdom and sound judgment and discernment, it benefits our life. It's, it's beneficial for us in the way we live. It, it benefits us with giving us a quality of life. And this is what we've got to get here. It affects us from the inside out. And, and this is what the scripture is saying. Hey, if you don't lose sight of sound judgment and clear discernment that wisdom gives to you, hang on to them and your soul will be alive and well. Hey, I can't stop my body from aging, but I can stop my soul from aging. Listen to me. I can stop my soul from getting stale and old and dead and buried, but I can't stop the body, but I can get stronger on the inside. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying there's an if. There's an if. God has promised to do things and to give us a quality of life if we make the right decisions. You make the wrong decisions. Have you ever bought a lemon for a car? Anybody? Or am I the only stupid one? If you watched Forrest Gump last night, mom always said stupid is as stupid does. That's one of our sayings in the South. How many times do I stupid? So I remember buying a lemon once. We rushed into it. We were newly married and I saw this beautiful blue Oldsmobile and we were college students had nothing I think it's four hundred dollars that was like a month or two worth of groceries for us and I'm looking we got to get that Oldsmobile it's just what we need and we the other car's dead and then anyway convinced Janet into buying it then stupidly on the credit card I went out and put a brand new big beefy stereo system in it I don't remember if it was eight track back then or cassette. It definitely no such thing as CDs then. The intelligence of that decision lasted about two weeks. And all of a sudden I realized why that car was sold so cheaply and so quickly because stupid is as stupid does. Now God says, look, I'm, I'm going to give you a quality of life, but you're going you to have to walk in some of these principles. You're going to have to listen. And there'll be quality. You will be graced with quality. Do you know what? When the, when the Hebrews heard this kind of thing, do you know what immediately sprung to mind to them? God is promising longevity in the quality. Check it out. Deuteronomy 
32, 47, Moses says, if you live by the word of God, you will live a long life. Paul gets that in Ephesians chapter six with this one. If you honor your mother and father, you will live a long life. I, I, I've always been amazed at that one. How many rebellious kids live past a few days? Like they were mine. I'd make sure they're dead quickly. Anyway, not true, but God's word comes with a promise with quality and longevity. And, and I, I believe this, honestly, living the Christian life by the word of God is a healthy life. It's a life that's abundant. And it's sad when you see people existing, but they're not living. It's sad to live and, and just be existing. And wisdom gives us the quality to have life long and enjoyable and to enjoy that life. And it comes with longevity, but it also comes, and this is what Solomon's talking about here, the ornament around your neck, it comes with beauty. That's not a word I commonly use. I wouldn't have looked at my son as he's grown up and gone, oh, Jono, you're beautiful. He probably would have smacked me if I'd have called him beautiful. But what Solomon is talking about here is you've got an attractiveness about your life. It's got a quality in it. And when we live by the wisdom that God gives us, people are going to look at it and go, hey, what is it with you? What is this about you? Because they see you make decisions and those decisions turn into winning. It, it, my old sayings, southern sayings where I come from, so I'll, I'll dial it down because of language. I'll be nice. But my old granddaddy used to say, man, that boy's so lucky he could fall in a, I'll say outhouse. He could fall in an outhouse and walk out with a new suit on. Don't you see some people like that? They got the Midas touch and they could. They could fall in a dunny and they walk out with a brand new, you know, thousand dollar suit on. You go, what the, how's that work? I'll tell you how it works. They live by wisdom. They make decisions with sound judgment and discernment because this word talks about all kinds of decisions. It talks about relational decisions, financial decisions, health decisions. It's not just a book to tell you how to know God. It's a book to tell you how to live the way God wants you to live. That's what Proverbs is, you see. And, and it, it's attractive to people. They look at it and they go, what is it about you? Now, Jesus said, you're gonna be like that. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light, we got that one, Victor, uh, Vicky? Yeah, there we go. Let your light, that's supposed to be shine. Hmm. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. People look at the quality of your life and they go, what is it? Now, you know what you're supposed to do? Point it straight to God. Because reality is we're really not that good in doing life without him, which is true. And there's this incredible quality of life that comes from choosing and living godly wisdom. Because along with the benefit of quality, listen, there's the benefit of safety. Let me go back and read verses 23 to 26 in the New Living Translation. It'll be up there. This is the one Janet was reading from this morning. Verse 23, there you go. They keep you safe on your way. He's talking about sound judgment and discernment coming out of wisdom. They keep you safe on your way and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. You need not be afraid of sudden disaster or destruction that comes upon the wicked. I'm going to pause there. Once in a while, I'll have a thought. You, I think watching the news before you go to bed is one of the worst things you could do. Right? As a matter of fact, I think watching the news is one of the worst things you could do. It is so biased towards tragedy and, and embellishment and negativism, right? It is not a friend of good people because what sells in media is not good stuff. 
Um, and, and sometimes I'll have the news thing going on and you'll hear about older people's house broken into while they're trying to sleep and somebody killed them, raped them. And I'm sitting there thinking, how easy would it be to break into our house? Our house is not Fort Knox. It's not locked down tight. It'd be so easy for somebody to get in and before you know it, he's standing over the bed and shoots us in our sleep. This kind of thing, if God is on the throne and he's in control, he's the best lock I can have. Now, I'm not trying to simplify that and say we don't have problems. I'm just saying to you, somewhere I've got to go to bed without fear and trust him. Right? For heaven's sakes, if I can take a team into downtown Baghdad with bombs going off, I can go to sleep in my own bed. Because I remember when we went in there, people said, are you going in there? The war is going on. Yeah, we're going to trust God. We're going in. Why can't I trust God at home? If he's God in Baghdad, he's God in Mount Hutton. It's only a little bit, little bit better than Baghdad. Anyway, <laughs> for the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. Now, let me make this very real in saying that, though. Solomon is not trying to tell his son that holding to wisdom guarantees a trouble-free or a pain-free life. That is not what he is saying. He saw what his father went through. Listen, guys, we live in a fallen world where bad things still happen to good people, even Christian people. And, uh, and I'm actually speaking on that topic in a month's time here at, at the extension service. It's, it's one of the biggest objections that pre-believers have to Christianity. If there is a God and he is good, why is there so much bad? And, they, and it's a very real question. And not only that, why do bad things happen to good people? And it's a reality out there. And God never said you are, you are exempt from any of that stuff in the world if you will just trust me and walk in my word. He never said that, but he said, I am still there with you and I will still walk you through that and I will take you beyond that because you see to us, even death is not the end. Even if we die in it, it is not the end. It is never the end for the child of God. But this is not what Solomon is saying. Here's what he's saying. That if you live according to the wisdom that God will give you, it will save you from unnecessary falls and traps. Hmm. You're probably thinking now, oh yeah, that was a stupid move I did. Well, you're remembering something right now. In other words, we won't stupidly shoot ourselves in the foot. And hopefully, we won't shoot others in their foot. I, I can look back on times in my life when I tripped up. I'm talking about as a Christian. And more times than I'd like to admit was because I didn't live by the sound judgment that God was trying to tell me. I know, you know. There's this voice going off in you. Don't take that turn. Don't open that page. Don't say that word. And you know, there's this little voice. It's called the Holy Spirit. And you know, and you go, I'm turning. I'm falling. Help. And more times than not, I mean, there are times because of being human or being Christian or being persecuted or whatever, you do get hit. But then there are other times it's because the lack of judgment, the lack of wisdom. And it's not that complicated. Like Solomon's very, he's very open with his son. He said, son, if you're headed down the road and you go into a market, and you just kind of look over and there's a woman all dolled up. And he, the way he talked was, you will know she's a prostitute by the way she dresses. And she's saying, come in with me. My husband's gone. We'll have fun on the bed. And he's talking language like this to his son. Son, head the other way as hard as possible. 
But you know what most guys do? I see her. You know, it's not that complicated. But see, the deal is this. Live by wisdom and you're not going to trip like this. You're not going to shoot yourself in the foot. Living by wisdom gives us benefits in life in a great way. And I want to tell you something. We're far better with it than without it. The Christian life is, is by far the greatest life to live. Our senior pastor in America used to say this. Even if there were no God, even if Christ wasn't real, and even if there were no heaven and there were no hell, I would still be a Christian. Because the way we are meant to live is just so far better than any other option. I, I believe it's the best life you could have. It affects us so radically. But here's the deal, guys. It not only affects our life, it's meant to affect the lives of those we come in contact with. Wisdom is not a gift just for you and me. It's for you and me also to help change the world and to affect other people. And Solomon makes it clear in the closing part of this chapter that wisdom is far more than knowledge, theories, and understanding. It's actually the outworking. You say, knowledge is, yeah, okay, I understand what that means now. But wisdom is, now I know what to do with it. Now, am I going to make a choice to do it? Knowledge says, oh, I understand aeronautics. I know how to fly a plane. But what, you don't fly a plane until you get in the cockpit and fly the thing. Right? You're not going to get that in a classroom. And the deal is this. It's the outworking and the application of these things that make the impact on the world. And you, you see this, if we could backtrack just from it to verse 19 of chapter 3. God himself used wisdom and understanding to create. I, I don't understand that. If he's God, why did he need wisdom? Just to show that he needed wisdom and so do we. Now, could he create without wisdom? No, he created wisdom. But then he used wisdom. And look, verse 19, by wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. Whose wisdom? Obviously his, but he still used it. And by understanding, he created the heavens. In other words, his own wisdom and understanding was not empowered until it was engaged and applied. Boom. And you can know, you can be smart. I remember when we were doing our degree in leadership, we had to read an article by Daniel Goleman, the guru on emotional intelligence. You know what the, uh, the title of the article is, When Smart is Dumb. And he said, most of you have gone to high school with somebody who is the absolute intelligent person of the class. And everybody thought, they're going to make it, they do all this, they show all these grades, and they're an absolute flop. Why? Because intelligence isn't always smartness. One of the smartest men, not smartest, but one of the wisest men that I ever knew was my grandfather and he couldn't even read or write. And I could tell you story after story where things just happen around his world because he walked in wisdom. He didn't know a lot of things, but he understood how to live. And it, it, it worked out in his life. By wisdom, the Lord applied this and did this. So living by wisdom releases sound judgment and discernment that doesn't just benefit us, it benefits those around us. And so when you get to the section in verse 27 to 35, he kind of uses this great illustration. Right, we're going to talk about how you affect others. So we're going to talk about your neighbors. You, you know one of the most incredible things now they'll say in modern day unlike it was, say, back in the 40s, 50s. Most of us don't even know our neighbors' names 
or their children's names or their last names. We don't know what they do for a job. We've lost contact with our neighbors unless an event brings us together, like we've got to put up a fence together or there is a clash of neighbors that ends up a sitcom on Australian television, <laughs> right? And the sad thing is we don't know our neighbors. How do we impact them? And Solomon is telling his son, well, five times there's things you do not do. You know, wisdom tells you what not to do as well as what to do. Did you know that? Oh, you didn't know that. All right. Well, take it in because sometimes God will say, do not. Is that because he's mean? No, that's because he's graceful. He's sparing you. And he's not just sparing you, he's sparing others. Do not throw rubbish over your neighbor's fence because he will come and he will snot you. And then you get into neighbor wars. But see, the actions of exercising and applying wisdom, you know, it, it, it applies to people around us. Like verse 27 says this, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to act. Now I know if you're like me, your, your mind goes straight to, ah, only to those who deserve. Can I just encourage you to believe that that's more than what you're thinking right now? When you think of deserve, don't define deserve by your measure of judgment about them. Mm-hmm. For instance, at Christmas, our church usually goes out and we find people who are disadvantaged and we give, uh, what is it? It's uh, vouchers for food and things at Christmas that they can't normally get. And we could go, you know, most of the people that we give these vouchers to are down and out. They're unemployed for some reason or other. They might be on drugs, whatever. They don't deserve it. Conventional wisdom says they don't deserve it. They made their own bed, let them lie in it. Somehow they've got to learn and they're not going to learn by us spoiling them. We're not spoiling them. We're doing good. So I want to stretch your understanding of doing good here for a minute to those who deserve. Because Solomon is saying, listen to me, doing good shouldn't be limited to those we're comfortable with or those we are naturally drawn to who are like us. I love that commercial. I think it's a coffee commercial, which most good ones are nowadays. The guy's standing at a kind of amphitheater, a stadium. Thousands of people. Was it say 80-something thousand? Come on, coffee gurus, tell me. And he says, in your lifetime, this many people you'll come in contact with. Remember? What is it? How many thousands? There's thousands. And they're all standing. Now, this many people by such and such time will remember your name. Most of them sit down. And then it gets down to one or two at the end who really know you. And then they sit down and have a coffee together. But imagine the story. Imagine if we are waiting to do good only to those who are like us and who we like and who we have judged worthy and deserving, that crowd is going to get very small because most of those people probably don't even remember who my wife's name is. You don't deserve me to do a good act for you. You don't remember my wife's name. Stuff you. And we do that, you know. You know what the example is? It's here in the next two verses, verse 28 and 29. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow. By the way, this is a monetary context. Don't say to your neighbor, for some reason or other, your neighbor needs some money. And don't say to him, you know what he's saying. You have no intention of giving it tomorrow. You're fobbing him off. And you actually have it in your pocket. It's with you. You actually have the ability to do good. And you say, come back tomorrow. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. 
So you could stand there and go, well, who is my neighbor? You know, that's a good question to ask of Jesus, wasn't it? There was a man who came to Jesus. Jesus is speaking, as he does often. He's teaching, he's speaking. So a, a teacher of the law who has this narrow definition of, uh, of things comes to Jesus and says, teacher, thinking he's going to big note himself, you know. Teacher, how do I get eternal life? Well, he said, what does the law say? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor like yourself. And Jesus said, you say, well, do it. And he goes, oh, who's my neighbor? Now, interesting, if you look at Luke chapter 10, verse 29, this is what it says. Is it up there? Good. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Have you ever wondered why he was trying to justify himself about loving his neighbor? Could it be that he didn't? Could it be that he had a prejudiced view of what a neighbor really is? I don't have to love the guy who lives next door to me because he's an atheist. He's disqualified, undeserving. I don't have to do good to that woman that lives across the road because she's a single mom and has multiple men. I don't have to do good to the people behind me because they come from another country that are sending out terrorists. And we've all of a sudden narrowed down who is our neighbor. And that's what this guy did. We, we narrow it down to the people we're comfortable with, who are like us, our race, our kind. He's got dark skin. I don't have to love him. My color skin is what we're all supposed to be. Who ever thought that? You ever thought what color Jesus was? I had a guy say to me once, we've been on the back end of prejudice because we're Americans in Australia. We have. We've had white Australians come up to us and give us cheek because what are you doing here? I had never felt prejudice like that because I grew up in the land of prejudice, the deep south of America. And God set me free from that, I'm telling you. And all of a sudden, to be fronted with another white face telling me I don't belong here. You weren't born here. What are you doing here? So I just, I kind of went up to him and said, how color's your face? And he looked, I beg your pardon? You don't look Aboriginal to me. I bet your people came over here on a, some kind of boat also. I just came on a flying boat. Yours came on a water boat. <laughs> so we narrow who we're going to do good to by race. Are they like us? And we disqualify and call them undeserving those who are outside our sphere of influence or comfort. So we stick with our family or even just that, some people in our church because we've already decided in this room who is deserving and undeserving. Hmm. Interesting, Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. In other words, the guy you least expect to do good to this guy is the guy that did the most good. The guy that you would disqualify and never do good to him, he did good to one of your kind. Mm -hmm. When was the last time God spoke to you and told you to bless someone who's beyond your normal arena of friends? It might be somebody in the queue. And I'm going to tell you this, this, this does happen if you'll listen to God. If you'll listen for that discerning voice. Listen, it happens. I've seen it happen. You might be standing in the queue at Woolies. 
and you're behind a woman who is struggling to pay for her food and she's scratching in her purse and she doesn't have an electronic card like most of us that just tap and go. And all of a sudden, she's having to say to the lady, I'm going to have to start putting back stuff. And you look at her and she's a bit, you know, worse for wear. Like the woman at the well, you've had five men, haven't you? How did Jesus know that? Oh, it's a word of knowledge. I think it's a little bit more than a word of knowledge. He could probably look at her and go, you've been road hard and put up wet, sweetheart. That, that's not bad language. That's Alabama for horse riding. Anyway. And so you're standing there and you're looking at this woman in the queue. And she's embarrassed. She's angry. And the woman at the till is getting angry. For heaven's sakes, why did you pick all that stuff anyway? Conventional, and you know, she's probably on drugs, gambling, whatever. Conventional wisdom would say, well, she's made her own bed. Let her lie in it. She doesn't deserve my help. Let her find out the hard way. But wisdom, listen to me, wisdom from God at that moment, if you'll listen, might cause a little voice in your head to discern differently and it might say this, just be kind. Just be good. Just show an opportunity for grace. Of course she doesn't deserve it. But when did you? The only reason we can repent is because God is good to us. It's his goodness, Paul wrote in Romans, that leads us to repentance. It's not my goodness, it's his goodness. I don't deserve to repent. He calls me to repent. Pay for their food. Wow. Don't you think that would start transforming the world around us? That woman's going to look at you and go, why are you doing this? The woman at the till is going to look at you and go, oh, for heaven's sakes. Another do-gooder. Yes, I am, by the way. Yes, I am. And I think, we don't have time to finish this proverb, but there's some amazing, amazing, amazing stuff in here that doesn't just transform our world, cause us to walk uprightly and not slip and fall, but it causes other people to get picked up so they can live right. Radical ways of living. Non-conventional, worldly intelligence and logic would do that. There's a lot of people we give these vouchers to around Christmas time who probably don't deserve it because they have wasted their money. That's not the issue at that moment. At that moment, we want to do good to them at this time of year so they can know a God who is so good, he sent his one and only son into this world who didn't deserve it, but who needed it. For God so loved us when we were bad. When I was still a sinner, Christ died for me, Paul said. Not when I was a goody two-shoes, when I was a sinner. I want to read this uh, proverb last bit in the message for you. Tim, can you just play for me? Thanks, mate. Uh, I just want to read it in Proverbs. Eugene Peterson has got this unique way of kind of putting it in our language today, right? And I think if we do it, I think Vicky will be able to follow me on the screen. Starts with, dear friend, dear friend, guard clear thinking and common sense with your life. Don't for a minute lose sight of them. They'll keep your soul alive and well. They will keep you fit and attractive. You'll travel safely. You'll neither tire nor trip. You'll take afternoon naps without a worry. You'll enjoy a good night's sleep. No need to panic over alarms or surprises or predictions that doomsday is just around the corner. 
because God will be right there with you. He'll keep you safe and sound. Never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Don't tell your neighbor, maybe some other time, or try me tomorrow when the money's right there in your pocket. Don't figure, don't figure ways of taking advantage of your neighbor when he's sitting there trusting and unsuspecting. Don't walk around with a chip on your shoulder, always spoiling for a fight. Don't try to be like those who shoulder their way through life. Why be a bully? Why not, you say? Because God can't stand twisted souls. It's the straightforward who get his respect. God's curse blights the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He gives proud skeptics a cold shoulder. But if you're down on your luck, he's right there to help. Wise living gets rewarded with honor. Stupid living gets the booby prize. <laughs> Won't we stand our feet? We close out this series really on life hacks close out the chapter. A lot of great things to live by. But the greatest thing I can think of is that still, while we were undeserving, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ came and died on a cross for us. That's what communion was all about. But see, He didn't just die. And that's not just good advice to believe there was a religious person who for his values and ideals gave up his life. It was far more than that. This was the Son of God who became the sacrifice for our sins. Even though we were sinners and we were defiled and we didn't deserve it, out of the love of God, Jesus said, it is complete. There's nothing left to do for them to become a child of a father who loves them immensely. I did it all. And so he died. The scripture says he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. He didn't stay in the tomb and he didn't just rise as a ghost or a spirit. He rose physically, bodily, spiritually to say there is hope for us also that we can have new life. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.